I was just testing to see if you were on your toes there. So now you can hear me online. You had no idea what I was saying. Welcome to you too. Glad that you're here. I want to start by reading a couple of verses I ran across in my scripture reading this week and then a little excerpt of memoirs that um, I want to ask us this question. Uh, do we relate to these verses at a heart level or do we relate to what's in this uh, memoirs at a heart level? Uh, both of them, the regular uh, context is pretty remote. One is uh, back in the uh, days of conquest when um, Nebuchadnezzar was dismantling uh, Israel, uh, Judah actually, and, and then the other is in the remote area of uh, Papua New Guinea, and uh, these are some memoirs of a, a Bible translator after the translation had been completed, 23 years, 14 translators, so much hard work went into it, and um, a, a couple of memories from that. And so I want us to kind of look into our own hearts and see whether we line up with one or the other or somewhere in between, and we want to talk about that. So the verse that I ran across this week in my reading is Jeremiah in uh, chapter 23 where... Um, He's talking about the false prophets, and then uh, God says through him, have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to really hear what he is saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? Now contrast that context with um, this little memoir, or the, the missionary's name is Marilyn, and this is the day that the New Testament that took so long to translate is actually coming up the river by canoe. It's day's journey up the river. It's very remote. When it says we, heard, we got the call, we're not talking about a telephone. That's like people in villages all along the river as the canoes are coming up are calling out and the word is reaching its way upriver until it finally reaches the village that is waiting for them. And it says late in the afternoon the call came that all had been straining to hear faintly in the distance, then growing in volume. The whole village relayed the message the canoe from Ambunti is coming. It's coming. It's coming. Hundreds in Hana hurried to the riverbank carrying fringed palm branches and giant leaves to wave. Marilyn stood at the edge of the hill scanning the distant horizon of the river to see the canoe. As the canoe came into sight, a voice in the distance burst out, the word of God in my language has arrived. Spontaneously, others took up the cry, the word of God has come. An overpowering wave of emotion struck. Joyous, emotional whooping undulated up and down the tributary. The word of God has come. Village children scrambled to help the adults unload the canoes and carry boxes of New Testaments up into Maryland's house. Hundreds gathered to watch the 14 translators cut open the boxes. Each translator took out a copy for himself, holding it gently and tenderly as if it were a breakable china treasure. As they carefully opened their own copies, tears ran down their cheeks while they rubbed the printed words with their fingers. And then Marilyn said, as, as each one got a copy of the scripture, when she, when she showed up, it was very remote, they weren't familiar with any of the things that we are very uh, accustomed to, and so they thought she was writing with a thorn. That's the way they translated pen, because it looked like a thorn, and uh, they didn't have paper, those were banana leaves. And so they said, when each one got a copy of the scripture for themselves, they would clutch it to their breast and they would whisper, Papa, God's word written on banana leaves. And then they would walk away just overwhelmed with that privilege. 
Earlier, she had um, had an encounter because from even further in more remote mountainous area, people had found their way down to the village where she and her team were working and had learned that they were bringing the word of God and they wanted that. And so they hiked for days. It was a four-day canoe journey up the river to get to where they were too. And uh, they hiked for days to come down and ask if someone could come and bring the word of God to them. And it was a very difficult situation because nobody was available to do the translation. And the, the head man from the village that had come down, he said, is, is, is my language rubbish? Is it just junk? And Marilyn replied, no, of course not. God cares about you and he cares about every language. He said, well, if, if my language is worthy to have Papa God's words, would you come and give them to us? And she said, I can't. I've got to continue the work here. Is there somebody else who could come? No. How come nobody's come? Well, we didn't even know you were there. Very remote area. And they had this further interaction. He says, well, when you go back to your born-in village, would you tell them we're here? And when you have a chance, would you come and visit us? And so eventually she and the team made their way up the tributaries until they found the village. They didn't even know where it was. They just knew its name. And they had to hunt around until they found it. And when they found it, there was this joyous reunion. And the head man who'd been in their village took them a half an hour deeper into the jungle to show them the village. All the houses were up on stilts. And then in the center on the ground was this sturdy, freshly built building. And Marilyn pointed at that, and they were speaking in pidgin, which was the trade language. She said, what is that? And he said, that's our church. You have a church? Yes, we built it just recently. Do you, has, has some missionary come to share? Some Westerner? No, no Westerner. Do you have a Bible translator here? No, no Bible translator. Has a national pastor, one of the Papua New Guinea uh, pastors come up here? No, we have none. Then why do you have a church? And here's what he said. When we visited Hana, that was the first village, we saw everyone going to church. We saw people learning to read God's talk and sing songs about God and Jesus. When we came back here, we told our people all about your church. We decided we needed to build a church so Papa God will see we're ready. We're just waiting now. Two um, pretty contrasting stories. There's the ones who are celebrating, so excited that God's word has come in their language, or those who are even building a church because they think that's what you have to do. God, we're ready, we're waiting, please. And then there's the so-called prophets that don't even bother to pay attention, don't even bother to listen, don't even care enough to know what God thinks. Somewhere on that continuum, I suspect we all lie. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is where, where are we on that continuum? Where's our heart on that continuum? We are in our series, uh, it's called Following the Master. What's he doing and how do we get in on it? And we already looked for a number of weeks at the fact that he's creating a new people, his church. We've done that. Now we're looking at the fact that he's making a new me. He's transforming you. He's transforming me. That's what he's about. And this morning we want to focus on what he's specifically doing in the area of the word of God. Right? And the specific reality is God is speaking. That's what he's doing. How do I get in on what he's doing? I respond. God is speaking I respond. And that's, that's, a, that's a, a question of not only our life habits and disciplines, it's a question of our heart. Are we in a position where we want to hear from God? 
and where we want to respond. And I want to look at two different aspects of how God is speaking. One just briefly, because I think it's important for us to acknowledge and deal with, and then we're going to dive into one more specifically. We want to look at the extraordinary speech of God for a few minutes, because God breaks through in extraordinary ways, and we need to own that. We need to be prepared for that in the right way. And then we want to look at the daily speech of God, and that's where we really want to dive in the most. So if you have your copy of the Bible, would you open to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please? It's a fundamental reality that God is communicating. The first thing that happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. He communicated. He expressed his power. He expressed his purpose. When he describes himself in the Gospel of John, the, the eternal son born into this world as Jesus, it says he's the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He chose that language that says, I'm the God who's still communicating, who is still decreeing, who is still expressing my powerful work in this world. That's fundamental to how things work. I talk you respond. When Adam and Eve failed, when they sinned, the first thing God does is he comes looking for them. Adam, where are you, man? What's going on? He started a, a conversation, right? Moses tells us, and then Jesus echoed that, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. It's by the word of his power that he upholds all of creation. So God is speaking. How do we respond? First, let's just look briefly at the extraordinary speaking of God. And in First Thessalonians 5, this is a good little summary section. It'll help us kind of quickly deal with the whole reality. Start in verse 16. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test them. He's not talking about the prophetic word that we have now here written. He's talking about a direct God's breaking in and saying something moment. And what he's saying to the people in Thessalonica is, is you gotta be open to that. You gotta be ready for that, but you need to treat that very carefully, right? If God chooses to break through in some extraordinary way, um, how do you know it's him? And how do you know what you should do in response? Because maybe you had a vision or maybe you had too much pizza and you just had disturbed dreams. Maybe that person who's coming up to you actually is giving you a word from the Lord, or maybe it's just from their imagination, or maybe they're well-intended, but they're a little off-kilter, or maybe they're just off-kilter, and what they're telling you is just not quite right. What do you do? Right, and so, in, in, in summary, to kind of capture the whole dynamic of, of God's extraordinary work, I think there's two things just to quickly take to heart, and that is that I need to be prepared and I need to be prudent. 
right? Don't, don't be blown away if God suddenly speaks and does something extraordinary, but do be ready to make sure that it's actually God. I have experienced him speak in a variety of ways in my life, uh, some of them pretty extraordinary. I've, I've witnessed things happen because of that. I was in India one time, and I went to this village with the translator that was assigned to me. It was his home village, and we went to his sister's house, and his sister and her husband were there, and this woman and man had heard the gospel over and over and over again, and they had rejected it, and they had hardened themselves to it, and my translator was super excited because now we were gonna go. Maybe she would listen to us. Very hospitality-oriented. They were at least gonna welcome us in. They were gonna listen politely. They wanted to hear from us, but even as we're sitting there at the initial conversation, it's really clear from what she's saying to me that she's not interested. She's interested in talking, interested in having us in her home, interested in, in communicating, but is not open to God. And as she's conveying that, then she breaks her flow of thought and she said, oh, but I did have a dream. I did have a dream the other night. And then she goes on to describe the details of her dream, which basically boiled down to people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around a baby and worshiping it. And she said, I don't know what that dream means, but I'm pretty sure that was Jesus in the middle that they were worshiping. And I said, that's very interesting. Can I read to you from Revelation chapter 7? I'd love to hear that. So I read in Revelation 7 where every nation, tribe, and tongue is gathered around the throne of God and, and worshiping God and worshiping the Lamb, and, and she's listening very attentively. And then I say, I think that's what your dream was pointing you to. I think God's speaking. I think he wants you to listen. And you could see that she was processing that. I don't think she was buying it yet, but it didn't matter because God spoke in a different way. At that moment, a horrific tropical thunderstorm broke. If you've never been in a tropical thunderstorm, it's an experience, especially when you're in a mud hut with a corrugated metal roof. We were 10 feet apart. Her husband and, there, and she were on one side of the room. The translator and I were on the other side of the room. We could not shout to be heard. It was so loud. There was nothing to do but sit. No one's going outside. That would be crazy, right? So we just sit there awkwardly looking at each other, alone with our thoughts. And her thoughts were, there's this guy from America in my house who just shared to me this passage of scripture that kind of matches with the dream that I had. Huh. You know, by the time that thunderstorm, the intense part of it passed, which was maybe 15 minutes, her whole demeanor had shifted. She was very in tune, very attentive. And before we left, both she and her husband trusted Christ. And I have high confidence that they actually knew what they were doing because they'd been rejecting it for years. But God broke in. He gave her a dream. He sent some guy from California and, and, and created this thunderstorm's timing at just the right time to set everything up, the providential and the miraculous, and as the end result, he worked something that would not have worked otherwise. That happens. That does happen. It's not normative, right? It doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen in every circumstance, and we are very foolish if we try to wait around looking at the clouds, hoping they'll start to spell out our answers. That's not helpful. But what we do need to understand is that God does sometimes break in, and be ready for that, but be prudent. Be prepared, but be prudent. We have to process that. 
I think sometimes we have um, the idea that if God would just speak to me out of the blue, then I'd do whatever he said. I, it, would, it would all be so clear to me. I also want to just deal with that briefly. My experience is nothing like that. When God has broken in, it feels just like that. It, it feels very unwelcome. It's like, wait a minute. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, spoken in times of great need that I've had where I'm praying and wrestling and, and it's not just an impression, it's actually words come into my mind. It's like, and, and the first thing that comes into my mind after that is, that's stupid. Literally, that's what comes into my mind. I was praying and, and intensely wondering and, and, and wrestling with God about two different things at the same time and suddenly an image came into my mind and words came with it and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me this and ask me for this. And you know what I said? I said, that's crazy and I shoved it out of my mind and then it came back and I shoved it out of my mind and then it came back. And then I said, well, I guess I can take the first step. I still don't think that's God, but I'll take the first step. And it turned out it was, and what he was telling happened, and it blessed me, it blessed a bunch of people that did a lot of good things. It was something God chose to do. It was miraculous. He does do things like that, but it was very intrusive. My first response wasn't, yay, let's do this. It was like, something weird's going on. This is crazy. So, we need to be prepared. God can speak. And if he does in some extraordinary, we need to be really prudent and not lose our footing, not get all um, bizarre in how we respond to a God who can do the miraculous, but he's still not bizarre. God does have extraordinary speech, and I need to be ready to respond to that. But mostly, I need to be ready to respond to his daily speech. That's where I want to focus our time the most. So if you want to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. Verses that are actually pretty familiar for a lot of us. Second Timothy chapter three. You know, God's, um, God's daily speech that I need to listen to and respond to, uh, there could probably be broken down in, in other ways, but I'm gonna break it down in two key things. One is, first and foremost, the word of God. Everything rides on this. This has got to be the absolute center. We have to keep coming back to this and keep coming back to this and keep coming back to this. This is the ultimate authoritative, clear expression that God has given us. And then, um, what we might call discernment. We've been given the Spirit of God. Um, Walk in step with the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but instead the fruit of the Spirit will abound in you, right, Galatians 5. How do I do that? That's... That involves some discernment. I'll show you some verses actually in a little while that says this is an important part of my life. I need to learn to live each day in dialogue with God. But first let's anchor most strongly in the text itself. So if you have your Bible open, look at verse um, 16 of chapter three of 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, We tend to focus a fair amount on that verse, rightly. A lot of profound theology of the word is found there. But we can't stop there, right? It's it's inspired, and from that we get the um, clear teaching that it's inerrant. But there's more to it. Read the next verse. This is really critical. All of this so that 
The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's so that I can grow up to be what God has called me to be. That idea of complete, it's, it's uh, sometimes translated perfect. Not in the sense of I'll be completely perfect, um, but in the sense of I will fulfill what I was put here to be. It's actually the same word that's used in, in the sense of completely perfect in Matthew chapter five, where it says, uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You can't do that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. I gotta do something to you, in other words, for that to happen. But then as I am this child of God who is being transformed, who has the righteousness of Christ imputed to him, I now have a daily walk that I'm growing up into the full measure of Christ and absolute central to that, the fuel of that is right here. This is what is to drive my life forward. It's not something I just read to learn interesting things. It's something I read and engage with to be transformed. I'm transformed as my mind is renewed. Um, in my reading this week, I was also in um, uh, second, First Timothy, um, and, and Paul's talking about his teaching versus the false teachers there. And here's what he says about his. He says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Right? I want you to be filled with love from a pure heart. I want you to have a clear conscience. Not just that you'd have integrity with the worldview that you have, but your worldview would be shaped by God so you'd have integrity with his will and you'd have a clear conscience. And I want you to be able to live that life of faith. That's why I'm teaching you. The reason we've been given the word of God is so that we can be complete and equipped for everything God calls us to do. This is the dialogue that God offers and we need to read it in such a way that it actually transforms us, not just informs us. Every once in a while, I'll hear talk of, oh, that's really deep teaching, referring to whatever. And as often as not, I think I would correct it and say, I think that's really distracted teaching. Just because it's getting into minutia doesn't mean it's actually fulfilling its purpose. We have such fascination with so many things, and they're not bad in themselves to learn in detail, but that detailed learning, that system of thought that we developed, that new insight that we gain, always is supposed to lead to a transformed life. That's why we have it. So don't confuse distracted teaching with deep teaching. Deep teaching is gonna move me into greater Christ-likeness. It's gonna shape my life. It's gonna challenge me. It's gonna encourage me. And it's gonna move me forward. That's what we need to learn and keep learning and keep clinging to. Right? God is speaking. I need to respond. Primarily, he's speaking through his word. So, Two things I would encourage you with to help keep that fresh. Read relationally and read relentlessly. Read relationally and read relentlessly. Right? Never give up on reading the Word of God. Whether it's working for you in the moment or not. I'm just like everybody else. There are seasons when it is dry and dare I say it, boring. I'm not, I'm not trying to be irreverent, I'm just trying to be human. Keep reading, keep reading. 
God is speaking. My heart's not always in the right place. And part of, isn't that what he says about the, the prophets, the, the bad ones? He's like, don't you even care what I'm saying? Work at this. Try to get your heart where you are open. There's just seasons for whatever reason God may actually sovereignly have me in a dry spot. Keep reading. Every moment is not gonna be this flash of beauty and glory. I, uh, those of you that have been around any period of time know I, I nerd out over the night sky. And so I'll take people out into the desert with me sometimes with a telescope and we'll look around. And inevitably, at some point during the evening, I'm the only one looking through the telescope and they're all looking just up at the night sky, mouth hanging open going, I saw a shooting star. I saw a shooting star too. And I just think, duh. I see shooting stars all the time. But they don't because they don't nerd out over the sky, and so they don't look very much, and they look in the city where it's all washed out, there's all these distractions in place, and here's what I do, I give my attention to that. I get someplace where I can actually see what's going on, and then I devote real time to it. So those flashes happen all the time, and I'm looking for something else, but for the person who's just seeing it for the first time, that's really cool, right? but they only come so often. It, by the way, if you want to see one, I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, if you will go out to a dark space and spend three hours looking at the sky, you absolutely will see a shooting star and you'll absolutely see a satellite. They're not hard to see, they happen all the time. You just have to be where they are and you have to be attentive enough for that to happen. That's how it is with God's word. There's those flashes that come through, but you have, to, you have to stay with it. You have to be attentive. And by the way, while that's not happening, there's still a lot of stuff going on. There's still a lot of good to be gained. So read it relentlessly. And when you're dry, it's baseball playoffs, right? Sorry, Ellen. Go Dodgers. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. Um, if you're in a slump as a hitter, you sit on the bench and wait for something to happen? It's never gonna happen. You hit out of a slump. You keep swinging and eventually you start making contact again. If you're in a slump in your engagement with the word of God, don't put it on the shelf. You keep swinging. This is what God has given us. He is speaking. And if it's dry, I can still gain valuable things, and if I stay there long enough, something's gonna go shooting through my soul that is glorious and beautiful, and I go, wow! But I have to be patient, and I have to stay with it, and I have to keep showing up, so read it relentlessly, and then read it relationally. Right, what is this actually saying to me? Not in some bad hermeneutic, I'm gonna interpret it however I feel kind of way, please don't do that but read it as if God actually personally intends you to take something from this, and then it'll actually speak to you very clearly, because he does, and he will, if you let him. He'll give you a very personal message. That happened to me this week. To be honest, it has been a dry season, and I just keep reading it and reading it and waiting for God to show up, and this week he showed up several different times in his word, and one, it was actually pretty simple. One of the reasons it's hard for me right now is the intensity of everything else. It's like, wow. God, I need your help here because it's harder for me to create the space to connect with you as deeply as I want just because of everything that's going on. And so as I was reading, seeking to do that, 
I read this prayer in Thessalonians. I've read these things over and over. I've read, I've read this through many, many times. But God speaks fresh, right? And it was just Paul's prayer. He says, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. It's like that was encouraging. Thank you, Lord. There's a lot of things I think you want me to do and I don't feel very adequate to them. It's like, well, I'm praying. Paul's praying for the Thessalonians and I get something from that too to say, yeah, that's what I need. I need you to give me the power to accomplish the things that your faith prompts me to do. And in that moment, there was a personal connection. So read it relationally. And when I read it relationally, remember who God is. This is really important. Sometimes we read it relationally just looking for a warm fuzzy, whatever we're looking for. And in the process, we turn God into a Muppet. Right? He's cute and he communicates as long as my hand's inside. And then I put him away and I go back to, and it's like I just am looking for God to tell me what I want when I want. It's like, no, no. God is God. A relationship with him looks like me as a, a finite creature coming into the presence of the almighty all holy, sovereign God. So it's not always comfortable. Reading relationally is not always gonna feel like, oh, isn't that great, I got to sit with God. Sometimes it feels like, the holy God just said, knock it off. I'm committed to you, we're gonna get this done, but you're doing it all wrong. You have to undo everything you've been doing and walk away from that because we're going over here. Wow. But I gotta read it that way because he's not a Muppet. He's the actual sovereign God. If I'm gonna relate to him through his word, I relate to the God who is in charge and who calls the shots. And that's an easy place to fall down. I'll give you an example from years ago that just sticks with me, but I see it happen again and again in my life, in your lives, all around us. I was teaching a class 15, 20, probably more than that because I was a senior pastor 25 years ago here, and we were going through something in the Gospels, and we came to that statement that says, unless you hate your mother, your sister, your brother, you can't be my disciple. So I just stopped and I said, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother, your sister, your brother. What does that mean? Room full of people just like us. Somebody immediately said, without even slowing down, well, what it doesn't mean is that you can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother, your sister, your brother. End of story. Now, lest that create some discomfort for you, there is something going on there where you interpret it properly and you say there's a contrast he's drawing and he's not actually urging me to hate my family, but he's saying love for him and commitment to him so exceeds that that it comes off that way. That's a common device in the Jewish mindset of the day, right? But this person in the class wasn't saying that. And we were all kind of in the same place emotionally, intuitively. That can't be right. If you read God's word and you say, that can't be right, slow down. If you're reading it relationally, remember, he's sovereign. He he defines right. And last time I checked, he knew a lot more than you did. I know he knows a whole lot more than me. So if he says something... If it doesn't sit with me, it's really not that important. The authority of God's word is critical for me to read it relationally. If if I'm gonna live in dynamic relationship with God, he actually has to be God. 
And that's easily affirmed theologically, but it's hard when, when whatever God is saying cuts across my politics, cuts across my culture, cuts across my preferences, cuts across my comfort. Oh, it's so easy to say, well, that can't be right. I'll look for some other thing in there, and I've turned God into a Muppet who's just telling me what I want. And I'm animating the whole interaction, and it's no wonder my life isn't really being transformed because I'm not listening to God at all. I need to actually listen. When was the last time you read something that challenged you and you changed because of it? Not something trivial, something significant. Said, I was going this way, and that was wrong. Now, it may be, it may be some sin, but you, a lot of times the sin, we already know it's wrong. He just calls us on it. We finally go, all right. But something where it's like, wow, I never understood that. I need to totally reorient my life. It could be great. It could be small. But I'm, I, my experience is when I have responded, God has blessed me profoundly. I'll give you two quick examples from my own life. Things that God just, well, actually three, because the verse we read earlier in Thessalonians, um, kind of overturned my theology that I grew up with, which I love my background. I've learned so much from it, but there were a number of things about it. We were just a little bit grumpy, a little bit suspicious, and a little bit emotionally constipated. So it showed up in how we dealt with anything miraculous, how we dealt with worship. There's a whole bunch of things that it showed up with, and that was the unfortunate side of it. And so I grew up thinking, that, you know, not, I would never say it this way, but the Holy Spirit disappeared, I don't know, left he left the building somewhere at the end of the book of Acts and he doesn't show up until the end of the book other than to give me some sense of illumination in the word. But he's not really active in the world. God doesn't do anything extraordinary. And then I read that verse and I couldn't get past that verse. There's a lot of things that people and theologians will wrestle with and appropriately so, but that one I couldn't find a way around. It's pretty straightforward. Don't despise this and I'm despising it. What's the matter with me? My worship life took a significant upward step when I just read the scriptures and said, what if I actually did that instead? Because, you know, my background, like I said, we were, well, anyway. You know, you'd, you'd let the truth go through your head and your body was just kind of an appendage that you let dangle there below your head as truth is going through. It's like, and I'm reading in the scriptures, clap your hands, Raise your hands, prostrate yourself, shout for joy. And I am so constricted and constrained in my worship. Like finally I had to succumb to that and say, that's actually what God says. It doesn't have to be a dog and pony show. My personality is not the same as yours. It all expresses differently, but I've got to be free. And suddenly, now I engage with God, body, soul, and spirit. It's a whole thing. It's not a just, here's some truth I'm thinking about. I'm actually celebrating God, and it's amazing how that has changed my worship experience. I'm still pretty tame. Although some people, I think, go, oh, he's doing it again. He's standing up. Now he's going to kneel down, you know. But others are like, man, you're so uptight. Loosen up. Do a dance. There's a zone that fits for us. But the scriptures talk about worship being this whole body, soul, and spirit thing. And when I finally said, I think that's what he wants and tried to do my version of that, it's amazing how God blessed that. Another bit of my background that was overturned from that same kind of zone of life was... Um, I didn't know what to do with the kingdom of God, so basically I said, it's not relevant. I was actually taught that. And then I read Colossians 1.13 one too many times. There's just no way around that verse. 
you have been brought into the kingdom of his son. That's already happened. Whatever my understanding has been, it's wrong. I don't know what this means, but it doesn't mean what I thought it means. And that launched me on a search to say, okay, God, what does this mean? And as I began to unpack that in my own life, it transformed me probably more than any single truth I have learned in my life. And I've had the privilege of actually interacting with other people, and just in the last two weeks, two guys that I hang out with said the same thing. That was the most transformative thing God has done in my life in the last several years, was wrestling with that reality. It was, here's what God's actually saying, not what I think he's saying, not what I want him to say, what I was always told he was saying, but never really checked out. I'm actually trying to listen to him, and, huh. I don't think I got this right. Wrestling with that, and before you know it, he's used that to totally transform and bless my life. That's what this is for. This is intended to be God's life-transforming fuel that the Holy Spirit uses, and I need to read this relentlessly, and I need to read this relationally, and let him work. Briefly, if you would, Turn over to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to just point out two little phrases that will anchor us in what is clearly biblical. Don't have time to develop a whole theology of this. I just want to point this out. Acts 15, the church has gathered to discuss how Jewish do you actually have to be to follow Jesus? Do you have to be circumcised? I mean, that was a big question in the very beginning because All the early Christians were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. You know, it was was their kind of second generation converts. Not not the second generation, but their second generation converts. All of their first converts were Jewish, and then they moved to Gentiles. So in the New Testament times, there's plenty of Gentiles getting on board, which is what creates the crisis. How Jewish do you have to be? So everyone gathers in Jerusalem, and there's people like, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and they're all talking and wrestling and people are giving reports and they're pointing to scripture and they're wrestling this thing through and at the end, look at these words that James says. As he's giving a report, he's, he's, he's uh, giving things to tell the people who've been asking the question. Verse 28 says, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should do this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should do this. Skip over to chapter 16. Story's just a little bit different. Paul is out now with Silas doing ministry and they're trying to figure out where to go. They keep getting shut down and that, that section has these direct interventions by the Holy Spirit. But then there's this dream, this vision that Paul has that we call the Macedonian call. And when he shares that with the team, look at what it says in verse um, 10 of chapter 16. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Concluding. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit we concluded this, right? In, in, In the second case, they actually have a vision, but they're still evaluating it. Remember what we read in Thessalonians? Just because something exciting happens doesn't mean that's God. You've got to pay attention. Make sure that you're understanding what God's saying, right? And if you ever have anything out of the ordinary happen, I urge you to do two things. 
look into the word and talk to people who are well advanced in their understanding and maturity of the word so that you can process it properly. It would be tragic to just go off on some wild idea. But God just might give you a wild idea, so it would be also tragic to ignore it. We'll punctuate that with a horn. Let that sink in. Right, so back to, back to what we're talking about here with uh, chapter 15 to 16. There's something going on. They're discerning things, right? In the Jerusalem council, we don't see that there's any prophetic word delivered, but yet they're interacting, and, 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 and clearly they have to be interacting prayerfully in conversation with God as they're in conversation with each other. Walking in step with the Spirit has to involve being attentive and, and, and listening. And I don't have to have complete clarity, right? He doesn't have to say that perfectly clear thing, do this. In fact, if I insist on that before I act, I have fallen into idolatry. Do you ever think about that? If I have to know for certain that God is telling me to do this before I will do it, I have now said, ah, center of the universe is my understanding and my confidence, not my God. I don't check my brain at the door. I'm, he's urging me to be thoughtful, but I don't always know everything. So there's a discernment that I need to grow in, and I try to grow in a life that's in constant conversation with God and listening. And I won't always get it right, but if I'm following the best I can, I'm well constrained by his word, by the, other, the family of God that he's put in my life, then I'm safe. He's a better leader than I am a follower, and I just need to move forward wisely, humbly, but in faith. I just need to start asking more questions of him, not expecting that voice is gonna come into my head. Maybe. Probably not. But just asking the question puts my heart in the posture to be able to interact with him. Right? Instead of just praying, pray about what to pray about. Instead of just talking to somebody on behalf of the Lord, discipling, encouraging, interacting, pray about what you should say. Even as you're talking with them, pray about that. Start a conversation internally with God and be attentive. Scriptures clearly say there's a discernment role that guides our steps. Everything's not always black and white. There's something between just the black and white of the word and the miraculous, whoa, God just said, and a lot of life has actually lived there. So I need to cultivate a daily dialogue. The daily speech of God unfolds in my life as I relentlessly read his word. And as I relationally read his word, and then as I do my life as a dialogue with him. And he shows up. Doesn't always show up how I expect doesn't always go smoothly. Life's not this unending stream of victories and celebration parties. But that's the path. We started by asking the question, where's my heart more like? The prophets who didn't bother to find out what God was actually saying and didn't actually care enough to do the work, didn't show up. Or maybe more like that second village even, where it's like, Papa God, we're ready. We're waiting. Lord, that's our prayer, that we would be like that. We would live our lives saying, we're ready. What do you want to say? And we do what's necessary. We would engage with your word. We would engage with your people. We would be discerning in our thoughts and 
conversations. We'd be open to you doing whatever you choose to do and careful with how we respond to that so we respond to you and not other things. But at the end of the day, Lord, we just want to live relating to you. You are speaking, we want to respond because we know that's how you transform and bless us. Would you strengthen us in that, grow us in that. Lord, as we give these gifts for this offering, I pray that you would use them to advance your work, your church, your kingdom, your gospel. Lord, that this would be used to honor your name and to be an agent of transforming power in the lives of others. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.